Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. Uh, my name is Howard Sides, and <clears throat> again, this is the second part uh, of the true story of Christmas, and basically what we're doing is going through the biblical account and pointing out uh, some things that we have assumed over the years, some things that we've kind of added in or just thought they were all part of the same story together, and, and just kind of working on clarifying those those issues. Uh, now, in the first episode, uh, we're looking at uh, the two accounts in the Bible <clears throat> of the Christmas story. First being in Luke chapter 2, which I call Luke's story. It is Christ's story, but Luke wrote it, so that's why I'm calling it that. That's the only reason. Um, Luke chapter 2, and then the second one would be in Matthew chapter 2, so that would be the second part of Matthew's story. Now, uh, in the first uh, story, Luke's story, again, we're on part two, so we're kind of in the middle of the thought here, and uh, we are discussing the uh, uh, shepherds. <coughs> Excuse me. They are talked about in uh, verses 8 through 21, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And the first thought we talked about was that they watch, and that's covered in verse 8. And we are on the, the second section of that thought, uh, they wander, W-O-N-D-E-R, not wander, W-A-N-D-E-R, but wander, W-O-N-D-E-R, which is verses 9 through 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and I'm, uh, let's see, in the last section of that, but we'll, we'll read that whole section. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, uh, this thought about they wonder is, is broken up into three sections. Of course, verses 9 through 10 talked about the reassurance by the angel of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 11 through 12 talks about the revelation by the angel of the Lord. And now today we're going to pick up with this third one, which is the rejoicing by the angels, plural. Rejoicing by the angels of the Lord in verses 13 through 14. And the first uh, phrase we'll talk about there is it says, a multitude of the heavenly host. Uh, two words there, multitude and host. Now the Greek word for multitude is plethos. P-L-E-T-H-O-S, plethos. And host, the Greek word there is stratia, S-T-R-A-T-I-A, stratia. Okay, which is a military term for a group of soldiers. And um, so basically we're looking at a uh, large group of uh, some indications of a military style Group okay, it's a military term, but I'm not saying these angels are militant by any means, but uh, they could be, they certainly could be. <laughs> uh, now, many scholars suggest the number uh, 
a multitude of heavenly hosts is always a reference to the number 10,000 times 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000. Okay, now if you're thinking all them zeros and trying to multiply them out, I'll give it to you. That's 100 million. 100 million. Now here these shepherds are on this hill in the middle of the night. They're watching these sheep, and I'm sure it's kind of quiet. I don't really know if they heard crickets like you would around here. <laughs> but it was still, and it was quiet. And I'm sure the sheep are laid down, go to sleep, you know, and they're about halfway awake. And then out of nowhere, there's this bright light. And they see this angel, and it scares them half to death. Uh, and then the angel says, you know, calm down. I've just got a good message for you, you know, for all people and all this. And then when he finishes speaking, now all of a sudden they multiply. There's like, I don't know, thousands. Ten thousands, hundreds of thousands. It doesn't really say what a multitude is, uh, but I'm sure the sky was filled with them. And you say, well, how can you be so sure of that? I'm thinking like this. What's the one event from the book of Genesis through Revelation that supersedes and, and, and outshines every other event in the Bible? That's this one. This is the greatest message of all the messages in the Bible. Here is God in the flesh being born on earth and you got to tell somebody. I mean, that's the greatest message there could possibly be. So obviously, it's going to be celebrated and it's going to be talked about. It, there's going to be a great show of effort uh, in this. <clears throat> now, it was Jewish custom in that day that when a child was born, uh, all the local musicians would gather together at the house to celebrate, sing songs and celebrate and all this sort of thing. Now, how unique that here Mary is in a stable because there's no room in the inn. And here's this baby laying in a manger. And there are no musicians. There are no singers. But yet here's this multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <laughs> That's a rather unique party, if you would. And I'm sure these angels, when it says that they were praising God and saying that phrase in verse 14, um, I imagine this looked something like an old-time um, revival meeting. Yeah, I, I can see that. Can't you see that? I can see that. It may not be that way, but yeah, shouting and praising, carrying on. Oh yeah, I can certainly see that. Now, I want you to know two very specific words here describing what the angels are doing. Two specific words describing what the angels are doing here. At the end of verse 13, it says they were praising and saying. Praising and saying. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see anywhere in that passage that indicates in any way, shape, or form that the angels were singing? Nowhere. Does it say the angels were singing? I talked about in part one, all of these Christmas carols that we sing. And, and the majority, not all of them, but the majority of them always use that phrase about angels singing. And it really never occurred to me until I was actually reading uh, one of J. Vernon McGee's commentaries. And, and if I knew which one it was, I'd tell you which one it is. I know it was in Revelation. I can say that. Because as we're going through the book of Revelation in, in my regular study, uh, I was reading it. And he makes that comment that nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels sing. 
And I thought, you know, wow, that, that really struck me as odd. But then I got to thinking about it and I thought, well, you know what? That makes sense. But because let's, let's look at angels for a minute. Angels are created beings. God created angels uh, for one intent and purpose. Now, one was to uh, guard his throne. Now, that's the uh, cherubim, the seraphim, and all those other angels. There's rank and file among the angels. There's uh, many um, titles that they have uh, of what they, the different things they do. And I've actually got a book here on what the different rank and file of the angels are and a bunch of them's names. I, I don't... I don't know that I follow that too readily. I, I don't follow it 100%. But it's kind of like my pastor says. You know, you can read a book and sometimes you have to pick the bones out. That's about what I've done. But there's no denying that certain angels have certain duties. Um, Gabriel, uh, from what we see that he does in the Bible, uh, he was the, annou the announcer. He made these great announcements. Michael protected the nation of Israel. That was his job. And the Bible tells us that you know, angels protect us. So each, I think each one of us has an angel protecting us. Um, so angels are created beings. Now, unlike humans, they don't have a soul. And if you know anything about singing, especially when you read about it in the Bible, singing is an expression of the soul. Singing is an expression of the soul. Angels do not have this capacity, nor the ability to sing. And I got to tell you right up front, I seriously doubt if they even have the capacity nor the ability to play harps either, just for those of you thinking that, <laughs> okay? Um, so uh, singing is, is, is an expression uh, where you can't put it into words, but you put it into song. And it was used in the Old Testament to praise God. Yes, man has diluted it just like everything else and and turned it dirty and done everything else, but that's what it was. Singing was an expression of praise to God. Um, I, you know, we, we've heard that thing, you know, when, when we sing, uh, angels cannot sing amazing grace or redeem, and, and the Bible even says that they look upon us in fascination uh, with what God sees in us. They can't understand it, okay? But, but anyway, all right, let's get back to this. All right, that next phrase, and on earth, peace. On earth peace. What a strange saying from a group of angels. Glory to God in the highest. Well, that's plain, clear, and simple. That's easily understood. That's what an angel's job was, was to glory God, glorify God. Then it says, on earth peace. What? There's no earth peace on earth. <laughs> uh, these, this country especially is under Roman occupation. And this was not some uh, generally well-liked uh, situation. Oh no! There, there was uprisings and, and and groups that that fought against it left and right. There was no peace in this time. What what is this talking about? Um, and you know, there's there presently obviously there's no present case of peace, and there wouldn't be for many years. So, <clears throat> what's going on here? What are they actually talking about in this part? The intended message here is that the gospel will bring peace. The gospel will bring peace. And that peace is represented in the person of Jesus Christ, who in the Old Testament is given the title of Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So he is the Prince of Peace. Now, the world is at war with God. Sinners are at war against God as well as each other. There is no peace among the wicked. Okay, so that peace that it's talking about comes from Christ. It doesn't mean uh, that on earth there is peace. It means that on earth there can be peace in Jesus Christ. Uh, now the last phrase, goodwill toward men. <laughs> goodwill toward men. I'm telling you, we love to sing that phrase in all of our uh, Christmas carols, and it sure sounds right. And, and listen, let's face it, of any other time in the calendar year, this is the time where more people than usual um, have a good attitude. Uh, they're more giving. Uh, I like to think they're more forgiving. <laughs> uh, and, and we try and show, <clears throat> excuse me, goodwill toward men among each other. But that's not what this phrase is talking about. It does not say goodwill toward all men. It says goodwill toward men. So what is meant here is that the peace from Jesus Christ would be extended to all men who choose to accept this peace. You've got to accept this peace in order to be able to show it. Now that does speak of election by God and that stuff. I'm I'm not don't have time to get into election of God and that sort of thing, but, but we'll try and break it down as best we can. Now, these words are of a great doctrinal importance to us. A great doctrinal importance to us. First, it tells us that the birth of Christ is an event which above all others brings glory to God in revealing his holiness and justice in that it requires such a sacrifice that could pay for all of man's sins. It also shows us his mercy in providing and accepting this uh, sacrifice. It shows us his wisdom in devising such a plan in the first place. And then it shows us his power in its execution. Only God could do this. Think about it. God in human flesh, born to a virgin woman, to be the sacrifice for all of our sins. Would you have thought that up? <laughs> I couldn't have. The second thing it brings up is this. Um, peace on earth, that is, peace to man and with God through the atonement and mediation of Jesus Christ. Uh, peace of conscience, as in the cons uh, consequence of knowing we have peace with God. Our conscience can be settled in knowing that we have peace with God. Another part of that is peace one with another as an expression of what dwells inside of us. The peace of God inside of us. Now I want to take a moment here and, and speak about a very critical note on this point alone. Uh, this one point reminds me of a statement that my own pastor is fond of using uh, quite frequently. Now listen to this. And I'm quoting him. I'm not verbatim, but I'm quoting him. The Holy Spirit within me cannot nor ever will be mad at the Holy Spirit within you. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit within me cannot nor ever will be mad at the Holy Spirit within you. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit that is living in me as a Christian is the exact same Holy Spirit that is living in you if you're a Christian. 
it's the same person. You ever been mad at yourself? Yes, I have. But the Holy Spirit doesn't get mad at itself. So in plain words, what I'm saying is here, if there are two people in your church who are at war, they can't get along with each other, they're bickering and they're fighting, then something, or, or more rather to the point, someone is not right with God. Let me say that again. If there are two people in your church who are at war with each other, they can't get along, they're always fighting, there's some bickering feud, petty feud going on, they probably don't even know what it is, but they're mad about something that happened, then something or someone is not right with God. And when we get to heaven, what is all this going to matter? If you have an issue, you better get it straight. I tell you, you just... There's not enough time on this earth to deal with such petty things as that. Okay, so that's the second point. The third point it brings is that it displays the goodwill, the love of God towards man as no other of his works ever did or could do. And that's represented in, in the greatest verse in the Bible for, uh, that a lot of people think. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, and this is a critical part, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I challenge you right now to open your Bible and flip to John 3, 16. No matter what Bible you have, read that verse. If that verse does not have the word begotten in front of the word Son, throw it away. It is trash. That is the probably one of the most critical elements of this whole Bible translation mess going on that is messing people up. And I'll, I'll tell you why that is. I'll, I'll, I'll explain that. Only begotten means there not only was one, it means there is, on, there is only one, and it means there will only ever be one. By removing that word begotten, people today tend to understand that God had one son. But one of the arguments that even the Muslims have today is that uh, Muhammad was another son, another prophet, another son of God. The only concrete evidence we have an argument for that, against that, I'm saying, against that, is in this very verse right here, his only begotten son. Now, it may be settled in my heart, it may be settled in your heart, but what about your grandkids? What about your great-grandkids? If this world's here long enough, what about your great-great-great-great-grandkids? What if they got a perverted version of the Bible and they go up in there and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? There's nothing to uh, argue from that. All that statement says is that at that time, that was the only son he had, he gave him up, but later on he had another. You see the importance of the words in the Bible, and you have to be very careful with these translations when they omit a word here and omit a word there, and, and the argument is to try and make it more fluid, to make it more easily comfortable to read it, to understand it. Some of these words are incredibly important, and one of the most incredibly important words in the Bible when it relates to translation is this word begotten in John 3.16. All right, I've said that. I'm going to leave that alone. All right, next point we're going to cover. They worship. Verse 15 through 16. Luke chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. And it came to pass 
As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. All right, so these shepherds do not tarry or have to have a discussion on the matter. They don't They don't call, uh, write a gossip column, or advice column, um, call mom and dad and say, hey, what, what do you think I should do? They said to each other, let us now go. Let us now go. How often have you had a conviction so incredible that you made a move like that? Let us now go. Now, consider the elements of what's going on here. Here are the sheep with these shepherds out in the middle of this field. And the shepherds are saying, let us now go. Well, who's going to watch the sheep? <laughs> the Bible doesn't say specifically, but it does say, they said themselves, now go. And in the next verse, it says they came with haste. Uh, you could almost see them running to see what's going on. They came with haste. The reason I believe that they were confident in being able to leave them sheep on the pastures out there was found there in verse Thirteen, uh, the angel said unto them, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." And in verse twelve it says, "And this shall be a sign unto you: ye shall find." Well, how are they going to find what he's about to tell them if they don't go and see it? They had to go and see it. And I think within that statement, those shepherds understood that God is telling them, "Hey, you go and find the sign that I'm telling you. I'm going to watch after your sheep." Who better to look after the sheep than the greatest shepherd ever to live, ever to be? <laughs> God himself, right? So they go. Now, let's look at the fact that they witness, verse 17 through 21. Verse 17 through 21. And when they had seen it and made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right. Now, <clears throat> in the fact that they witnessed, there's three parts to it. First of all, there's the confirming, the confirming. Second of all, there's the contemplating, the contemplating. And third, there is the circumcising. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about this confirming. And it says that when the shepherds uh, leave, they tell everyone what they saw, just as the angel had told them to do in verse 10. This shall be to all people. And what does it say? When they had seen it, they made known abroad. That means they didn't just go and tell the first person. They told everybody. They told everybody the saying which was told them concerning this child. And, and look at verse 18 in reference to that. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They were at least thinking about it. They wondered. They were thinking about it. But we'll get on to something important about that a little bit later on. 
Um, so that's the contemplating. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as was told unto them. They were thankful. Thankful. I think that's a key element right there. So many of us get so wrapped up in our day, we're just not thankful anymore. And I'm not talking about just being thankful to God. We should be thankful to everything we have. We should thank each other. Uh, one thing we do down here that um, has become a thing of the past is when you drive down the road, you just throw your hand up and wave at the people as you drive by. I'm telling you, when I was growing up as a kid, everybody did that. If somebody didn't wave at you, you turn around and look, I'm like, what? I wonder what's going on with them. Nowadays, hardly anybody waves anymore. We're, we're just not a thankful people. A wave of a hand does not say thank you, but it's a, a saying hello, how are you, that sort of thing. And it's a picture of a thankful heart. Okay? Now, uh, the second point here is this contemplating. Look at verse 19. All this chaos going on. All right? Everything going on. It says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She thought about all this stuff. She didn't say anything. She just sat there and, and, and thought about it. Now, as a Jew, it's obvious she had rehearsed and knew the prophecies concerning her son. She knew what was going on. I don't know to what extent she knew, but uh, she knew a lot of it. But it makes you ask the question, I, I wonder when she realized that this little boy was born to die. You ever thought that? I wonder if she realized it at that point. That's why she just didn't say anything. Already, with such great joy in her heart and such uh, humility of being chosen to give birth to, the, to God's own son, God's only begotten son. And then the thought hits her that, oh, wait a minute. He isn't born to live and, and to do great things in this world and die happy and uh, full life. He's born to die. It makes you wonder when she thought that. Uh, the third thing, the circumcising. Uh, on the eighth day, the baby is circumcised. That's according to Jewish tradition and, and biblical tradition. Uh, and he was circumcised and named Jesus according to Jewish law, what the angel said even before he was conceived. Now that's back in the first chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Okay, so this is Luke's version of the story. And I wanted to um, rehash with you. Again, we are calling this the true story of Christmas. And Rehearsing this story, there's several characters involved by name or association or whatever. You got Caesar Augustus, you've got Cyrenius the governor, you've got Joseph, uh, you've got David, you've got Mary, of course, you've got the baby Jesus, you've got shepherds, you've got the angels, but there's somebody missing there. And that's kind of my point. This is what kind of led me to the whole thing. There's no mention here at all of the wise men. And you think, huh, why is that? Well, that'll be covered in the next um, lesson over in Matthew chapter 2. And again, like I said on the last one, I, this is a continuation, so I'm going to jump right into it right as I finish this. 
uh, episode. And, and we'll talk about that because Matthew chapter 2 focuses on these wise men. And, and we'll talk about that on uh, the next episode. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, so we've seen Luke's story. And the next one, we're going to talk about Matthew's story and put it all together and see what it is uh, that we're trying to figure out here, what it is going on. Okay. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll see you on the next broadcast. Thank you.